Hey, thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. To unlock the extended bonus conversation, sign up at patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Now, on with the show. Hey, welcome to the Create Unknown. I am Kevin Lieber. With me, as always, is Matthew Tabor, and our very, very special guest today is Uncle Eric, aka Hot Dad. Hot Dad, thank you for joining the Create Unknown. Hello, it's an honor to be here. So, I must say first off that you are our first guest that I didn't know about until we started this podcast and until we developed our Discord community. And you were one of the first people when we asked our Discord community, like, who we should interview. Hot Dad came up, and I was like, who is Hot Dad? This was probably six months ago or so. And, uh, you know, since then, I've become a major, major fan. I love what you're doing. If uh, if anybody's listening and hasn't checked out Hot Dad yet, how how would you describe your music? So, it's like... I would describe it as internet music, but that sounds kind of vague. Uh, I mean, I refer to it as emotional comedy music because I, I think that that's like the underlying basis of everything I do is just take something that's like superfluous and stupid and then inject it with as much emotional energy as possible. And that, I, I don't know, that just seems to be like, I started from that and then it's just grown. Like it's it's become like a deeper and deeper thing. So I would, that that's kind of how I describe it. Like that's my simplest sentence. Uh, that, I mean, that's amazing. Where did that, I think that that, that is really apt. Where did that come from though? Like what were the, what was the genesis of emotional comedy music? Because it's not necessarily anything that I've heard before. Did Have you heard uh, my girls who care project? Mm-mm. Okay. So I, I put out a, I, I call it a serious album in quotations because I, I don't know. Like, music that's not comedy music, is it serious? I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe music that's not comedy music ultimately. But I made a quote-unquote serious album, and it was like when I was waiting for that to be mixed by a professional mixer, that was when I started making Hot Dad songs. And it was like – it was something that – my my TV project, I don't know if you've listened to those, but I, I redid like 105 TV theme songs. It was just like a, it was basically me like testing my ability to compose every day. Because I was like, if I want to be serious about this, I need to do this every day. Like creativity is a routine. You need to really take this seriously. And it was like the songs initially started extremely stupid, but then all of a sudden they started getting to this point where I was like, Oh, I got to redo that with my serious project someday. I got to remake this song. That's too good for a comedy song. And then I started ignoring that. I started just like shoving that impulse away and saying, you know what, whatever, wherever this takes me, I'm just going to go with it. And so it was that, I don't know, the background of serious music and then just making comedy music. And suddenly I was incorporating those same elements in it and just choosing to to keep them in there instead of, I don't know, like making it so stupid that nobody can take it seriously. 
Yeah, I love the challenge of doing it. I did. I have seen some of the 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 theme songs that you've done. I just watched the SpongeBob one before we started <laughs> recording, uh, which has uh, which is very popular. It's what's it's one of the most popular uh, videos on your YouTube channel. It's because Viacom took all the other SpongeBob intros down, and I fought back as fair use, and so mine got locked in. Like they have to sue me now to take it down. <laughs> wow! So <laughs> mine's like the only. The only, the only one that remains. Yeah, yeah. But when I uh, back in the day, um, I was studying comedy and I got comedy books and and blah 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 blah. Long story short, it the comedy books always tell you to develop these routines and these challenges and like kind of workshop ideas. So, for instance, it would say you know write fifty jokes a day about like like the current news like just open up a newspaper uh, or whatever right. <laughs> or not now would be you know open up twitter or whatever yeah. go through the news and just sit down and write 50 jokes a day and it become and and once it turns into that kind of like exercise like you're exercising your ability to write jokes like eventually you get really good at it and it sounds like you're setting up yourself with the challenge of creating a new theme song every day Almost kind of like how Casey Neistat set up the challenge of creating a new vlog every day, a new film every day, really right. helped you kind of harness your chops. And I mean, you you kind of learn it. Obviously, it establishes your limitations. It, it allows you to figure out like what variables. There are some people who are really into embracing chaos, and I'm trying to get better at that. But like it it gave me a reference point because like there are a lot of the TV themes that I did in one day. I mixed them. They were done. And like if I just slept on it, I think it would have turned out very differently, like in terms of technically. So I, I don't know. Yeah, it's like you do that kind of thing. You figure out where your limitations are. And it's like I don't I don't do that daily anymore. Like what I'm making has extended into like, you know, they obviously I want to spend as much time as possible on them. But I feel like to get started and to figure out like how you work best, like you've got to do it that way. Like that's that's how it starts. That's how you make it. Obviously a routine, but like I don't I, I don't think that my routine, it's not like I compose from, you know, 10 to 2 every day and then from, you know, 2 to 3. I, like it's not that regimented, but like I just know how much work I need to do in a day for it to be like enough work done that day. And for it to feel like I've accomplished something. But I couldn't have done that without doing a song a day, et cetera, if that makes sense. So how did you get to a point where you were making these types of songs? Uh, I mean, what was what came before Hot Dad? Where was uh, Hot Dad before the baby came out and he became the dad? Was he hot something else? Well, so here's – okay. We'll get into this earlier in the discussion because I've, I've dumped this on people like at the end before. So basically, I was an erotic romance author, self-published for from basically 2012 to 2014. And that was like the most lucrative thing I've ever done. Like I had a really, really great 2013 and I was able to like live off that money. And it was in the middle of it. I don't know. There was a time where I was like I felt really, really good about writing erotica and it was like it was something that you could make money on very easily because like i i don't know how much you know about uh amazon's like like all the ebook companies like the royalty yeah. rate is it's a 70 percent split for authors so you could write a story that was three thousand words and that i could do that in a day and i could be selling that it could be making me two dollars a sale 
So I right. that same thing happened to me in within erotic romance where I wrote a ton of shorts and then I was like, no, I want to start writing novels now. I want to do longer things. I want to like it was the exact same process. It was like make a bunch of things that work for me, smaller things, and then, you know, have the, the time and energy to do longer things. And so I didn't I did not get into that because I wanted to be a writer. It was because I read like examples of erotica that people had written. And I was like, this is like my writing level in high school. You know, I think I could do this. And I, I, it worked, but eventually I just kind of burned out on it. And I was like, I want to do music because it was, a, I'm going to say about 2010 is when I started teaching myself to compose. I had just been like a drummer in bands. That was all I was ever doing. And then I okay. had a bunch of bands fall apart. And then I just, I, I don't know, I started taking it really seriously around 2010 ish. I started just teaching myself as much as I could learn. And then, yeah, it was, 2012 is when I quit my last job, which was in IT. And then that was when I tried the erotica thing, which lasted until 2014. And then basically 2014 was just me living off of erotica money and every day writing a song and not making anything until probably mm -hmm. maybe mid 2015. I mean, it was a okay. complete drought of, of money for the most part. But then I, I did that TV record and I put it up. And suddenly people were buying it on Bandcamp. And I was like, I never thought that this could happen. Like, I, I have no idea how this is yeah. happening. So how did they find so when it? You pulled... no. Sorry, Matt. How did they find okay. your TV themes? Uh, I was just putting them up as it was basically trolling. I, I don't know. The whole process was that I didn't have. I'm not a good video editor. I'm not a visual artist. And people were telling me, you know, I, I already had a. So I started on YouTube in 2007. I had a friend of mine and we did this drum instructional video that was called Alex's Drum Time that was actually kind of big. I mean, it was like a at that time getting like 40,000 views on a video like 2007. I, I don't know. It felt like something. Um, and then I worked with him. He was kind of like we had kind of a, a an Andy Kaufman Bob's Muda relationship. I was like trying to be the Bob's Muda and like write routines and stuff for him. And so we were doing a lot of that stuff and he went went to college in 2009 and the whole project like kind of fell apart. So I had like maybe 200 subscribers on this YouTube channel that were I don't they wanted us to make stuff and I didn't you know, I didn't want to shoot videos myself alone. And so then yeah, I just decided to uh start I don't I just started singing Somebody in my house was watching Girls at the time, and I just started singing the theme song to Girls, and then I just set it to the opening credits and uploaded that. And then the next one was Scrubs I just decided to do, and then I just left the HBO logo on the front because I thought that was funny, and then I just... And, I, and I'm uploading them as, like, you know, Scrubs intro HQ, you know, like, like... I mean, it wasn't... Again, the HBO logo was there, so I felt like I was giving people an out... Like if if the show's not on HBO, you've got a chance to catch this. But then it was like, I think maybe the fourth or fifth one I did was the Wonder Years, which again had the HBO logo on the front, <laughs> and and I could see how long people were watching it before they stopped, and they were watching like, like almost the whole video before saying like, wait a minute, this isn't my beloved, you know, TV show's theme song, and then posting angry comments, and that one got like hundreds of thousands of views because it was again like the only one that was up, but. That was it. It was just more or less misleading people with the titles, but I wasn't doing it as like a, it wasn't supposed to be like a mean spirited thing. And I wasn't, 
I was not planning the foot like weird things would sync up between the footage and my song. Like I was not watching the intro. A lot of the shows I've never seen even I would just read the Wikipedia page and just write a song <laughs> that came to mind and then sync up the footage. And these really serendipitous weird things would sync up. And I swear, like I was not I was not uh, trying to influence that at all. And so that made it fun for me, like to have that added, you know, it would be this capricious thing that would happen when I'm suddenly I finish it and I lock it up and I'm like, how the hell did that happen? Like, that's crazy. So I want to I want to jump back and ask, uh, we're going to go back to erotic fiction. Yes. Uh, You said that 2014. Uh, that's when that's when that stopped. Did you pull the plug on that, or did something change with what was happening on Amazon or something else? Because you said it was going well. Uh, why would you Why would you give that up and do something else? Well, so I can continue the parallels the parallels discussion. Just like on YouTube, Amazon start started pulling kinks, started pulling fetishes, started you, you had to rename things. They would shut down certain categories of books that people wanted to buy. You had to get things past their editors to get them live. And it, it just became uh, every other day. It was a, the sky's falling situation. Like I, it, it's crazy how now in retrospect, how much it was just literally what has happened on YouTube, but it was in, you know, the fiction marketplace. So yeah, I, I don't know. It just became exhausting. I, I was part of a community of people that were like, they all had like writing degrees, English degrees, and all they wanted to do is write for a living. And all they could get is like adjunct professor positions that had no benefits. And then all of a sudden they can just write every day, you know, for as many hours as they want. And they can make huge sums of money, some of them. And yeah, so then the community, it was just like every other day, somebody's like, we're done. You know, we're not going to be able to make a living with this anymore. And then it it evens out and you kind of figure out what the new rules are. But I don't know, like my first, my first, the first novel I released did really well. And then it was just diminishing marginal returns every other time. Like every other novel didn't do as well. And it was like, I stopped like wanting to, like when I'd meet people initially, it was like really fun to tell them I wrote erotica. And then, you know, they'd have all these like, you know, questions about it. And then eventually I just started like, it didn't feel like it represented me anymore. So where, so, so Amazon has cracked down a lot on like the censorship of these books. Okay. It it's, it's changed the whole marketplace. If you looked at like the kind of titles, the kind of cover art that was permitted. uh, I mean, you could just use like the most blatant, gratuitous terms you wanted in the titles and that was like the best way to make sure that people knew what the book was about and then all of a sudden you had to start like coming up with code words to describe certain fetishes and things because amazon would block those books from going live in the store and it was just i don't know you were just constantly guessing and 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 it is exactly the same as how things have played out on youtube with with tags and everything else that you know frustrate people uh, that, that you just, you don't know what you're capable of even doing. Like you don't know what you're allowed to do. And, and I don't know, it, it becomes scary. And so, yeah, it, it just, it, it's weird because then I left and went to YouTube and then I've kind of seen the same thing play out. So I was doing a, a workshop with uh, a lot of beginning YouTubers, uh, uh like a month ago uh-huh. and it, it, they, you know, they had a lot of questions. Everybody wants their channel to 
succeed in some way, whether it's financially or just having a lot of people, whatever it is. And I almost feel like at this point, the first thing, one of the first things you really need to think about with a creative project is, is the exit plan. Like it sounds so tragic and dumb, you know, to be like, I'm going to start by thinking about what happens when this ends. Right. But as I think about all these different things, you know, you were, you were doing it on Amazon. I started, uh, when, when eBay started in the late nineties and that was amazing and it was free. Uh, you know, you could do kind of whatever you wanted provided it wasn't like horribly illegal. Not that I did, you know, I was pretty young, so I was doing straight up stuff, but then all of a sudden, you know, the fees change or, uh, you know, the way you can list things change and it's a different landscape and it's not viable anymore. Well, that same thing has happened in virtually every online and or creative project uh, that I've seen, whether it's you on Amazon, what we're seeing now on YouTube. And I think that the people who survive on this stuff are the ones who have a sense of adjusting. And we've talked in other episodes about adjusting, evolving, all of that. Like everybody knows you've got to do that. It's not going to be the same forever. But uh, that idea of, of an exit, um, you know, what are you going to do when it's time to move on? That's something you kind of need to think about really early. Right. And I mean, I don't, what I think is most important about this, though, is that it's not like it's about as many revenue streams as possible. It's about as many efforts as you can possibly, you know, come up with to survive. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're willing to to attempt those things, because it's like my I'm not I'm not a gigantic artist on Spotify. I've never had any inclusion on any like major playlists, but I have on average like 40,000 unique listeners a month like that's higher than some of the bands that I listen to. And I don't, I don't understand how that can be the case, but I'm also (laughs) not splitting that revenue like four ways. I'm not splitting it with a label. And so Spotify ends up being like two, two and a half to three times more per month than I make on YouTube. Like I have a tiny following on Twitch, I think like a thousand followers. And that is about the same as I make on YouTube. So YouTube for me has been kind of written off as as a self-preservation, like th- the more energy I put into thinking about, like, I'm going to upload this thing I really care about and YouTube's going to bury it. Like the more energy I put into that, like it- it's just going to kill me creatively. So I just have to like arbitrarily say, you know, I'm I'm doing this. I'm going to finish this song. I'm going to upload it. It's going to people are going to see it. The people who really want to see it are going to see it. And I don't know how I'm going to reach anybody else, but I'm not going to think about that. And I'm just going to you know, I'm going to make as many things as I can and they're going to serve me when I'm making other things because that's, that was the whole framework with, with the books. You know, I go to the grocery store, I come home, I've sold books. You know, I go to sleep, I go on vacation, I've sold books. When I'm working on other books, I've sold books. Like once you can adapt to that, like delayed income, you know, cause it's like you're waiting three months to get paid for stuff or whatever. It starts to, to work. Okay. But like, I don't know, somebody just starting off, that's really hard to conceptualize. And if you just focus on one platform, you're not going to make it. Like, you're just not. Like, at least in this current climate, and I don't see it getting better at this point. Like, I, I don't know what it's going to turn into, but I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing to me how bad YouTube is for you. And and I totally understand that. I, I don't think that a lot of people really understand... How, you know, because whenever you see 
oh, PewDiePie makes like $15 million or Ryan's Toys makes like $27 million. And these are YouTubers. All of a sudden, like the story is, wow, these YouTubers are making millions of dollars by just uploading YouTube videos. And it's like, yeah, like, I don't know, maybe 10 of them are, maybe like 20 of them are it's like a tiny tiny fraction of a fraction and i was at a conference recently and let me tell you if people uh don't understand youtube and they just read those you know like new york times or whatever wall street journal headlines about what youtube is god all they want to talk about is the money that's all they want to talk about. And they think it's so much money and they can't believe it. And they're like, oh my gosh. I was introduced on a panel of like literal award-winning, like 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 Emmy award-winning video producers, okay? Yeah. From like National Geographic and stuff. And I was introduced as like this rich YouTube star. Like, <laughs> like wow. that's how, and I was like, uh, really? Like, I'm surrounded by probably literal millionaires. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, like, senior producers for, like, multi-million dollar, 100-year-old media conglomerates. Uh, but I'm the one who gets singled out as being this, you know, this young, fresh, hot, new millionaire raking in those internet bucks. <laughs> And I'm yep. just like, good <laughs> Lord, you people have really, really no idea what it's actually like. It's like, I also think that there's a misconception like on on the audience side of like how much, so the creators need to hustle, but the fans need to hustle basically just as hard because like, I can't tell you, there's there's one of the resets. Uh, uh, so I can't I can't tell you how many times like I've read you know, I've come across a comment that somebody left somewhere that they're like, it's been insane to watch hot dad's ascent. It's insane to see how far he's gone. And and it's like, I have accomplished things, but if you break it down in like a pragmatic fashion, I was reaching more people on my YouTube channel when I had half the subscribers. Like yeah. I've, I, the number has grown, but the reach has shrunk like on every single platform. And, and it's, yeah, you're just constantly hustling to try to figure out like what what will get this noticed by the algorithm? What will get viewers to notice this? What would like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's so hard because from the outside, it appears that like so much is going right for somebody like me say, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's completely exhausting to me to imagine that like there was a time where, you know, if I could just, if I could just reach my 138,000 subscribers, that would be like absolutely amazing. Like that would be the most exciting thing in the world to me. Just the people who have said, like, I want to see your content. If I could just reach those people, it would be, I can't even describe how amazing that would be. And it's just like every single person talks about this. Every single YouTuber talks about this, that they, that people contact them. And they're like, why aren't you making stuff? Why haven't you made anything in a while? And it's just literally because algorithms have said no. So I, I don't know what the yeah. benefit is to hiding that. Like, why can't every person just reach their own audience and then pay to reach other audiences or something? I, I don't know. Why why can't that be the case? Like, what what's different about that? Like, from a financial standpoint, I, I don't know. I don't know either. But, but, but Matt, we see that comment on Vsauce too with every single upload. It's like... 
It's yeah. like, wow. I haven't seen one in, a, in years. And in, in like, I haven't seen Vsauce 2 videos in over a year. Like, well, since the time you saw the last one, there have been like 26 videos. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not like there's been two, um, but it's not their fault that it's not coming through their feeds. Uh, it's the strangest thing. And I, I like how, how simply you put that, just saying, you know, all I want to do is give the people who said they want to see what I make an opportunity to see what I make, <laughs> right? Yeah. And if that means at this point, I, subscriptions capping them, I, I would be okay with that. I think I would be okay with that at this point because a big problem is that people have 200 subscriptions now. Whereas, uh, I don't know, in the early days, I was subscribed to like six or seven or eight channels. Yeah. Uh, and I was just browsing beyond that. Well, you know, I, I can understand that you can't serve every video from 100 channels to somebody. It's just not going to happen. They have to be ranked in some way. Well, what if what if we said uh, we're going to cap you at, you know, 25 or 50 or whatever it is. And if you want to raise that cap, you know, that's part of YouTube premium. Um, yeah. Just to make it manageable so you can communicate with your actual fans. And if uh, that means that uh, somebody's hit the cap, they need to dump a channel to add another one, then you get dumped, you know, and uh, that's okay. That's that's part of the process, too. I mean, I think the craziest thing to me is when YouTube introduced the community feature and it's like you talk about all these different platforms, you talk about every social media site and how the the cardinal sin is linking offsite. You never want to link offsite or else the links are going to get buried. So then the community feature comes around. And I remember the first time I used it, I just posted this like stupid picture of myself and it gets like 800 likes. And it's like almost nothing I post regularly gets 800 likes. So I was like, wow, this platform seems to have a lot of engagement. And I posted a couple of memes after that. And then I post a video that like, it was, uh, I did this song called I Like Love and, and I actually like rented a venue to shoot it in and I put all this time and energy into it, like spent all this money on it compared to like usual things. Of course it got buried. And so I'm like the community feature, this is going to be great. Like I'm not linking off site. And I posted on the community feature, you know, I link to a video on YouTube on YouTube and it gets like 20 likes. It gets like maybe 10 likes. It gets like, like nothing. And a, just a, a picture of me gets 800. So I, I don't even know what to say about that. It's like insane that you you give this opportunity now to link to something on the platform and you're going to bury that. You're going to you're going to kill it. I mean, they're just you can't link to a video and expect it to get the interaction of just a screen cap from an upcoming video. Like, where else am I supposed to do that? Like, <laughs> I don't know. We were talking about this recently in regards actually to this podcast. Because mm. they nerfed it. It used to be that you could link to videos on a community post and a ton yeah. of people would see it. So when yeah. we first started the Create Unknown, you know, last year, our guests that we would have on the show would always do a community post promoting the podcast. Yeah. And it, it would drive tens of thousands of views. Yep. And it then really good. sometime Earlier this year, maybe like midway through. No, it was like earlier this year. They just nerfed it. It's like March it. or April. Yeah. Okay. They just yep. cut it off at the knees. And now, like you said, <laughs> linking to YouTube videos on YouTube is is worthless. It's, it is it is really, really strange. 
And the community tab in general, I had arguments with YouTube about because because of the way that they have the comments play out. They're not yeah. ne- they're not nested. You can't actually have a conversation. Right. So like you post something on your community tab and then you ask a question or whatever and then you just have this endless string of like 100 comments that just look like YouTube comments and you can't actually talk to anybody. It's useless. And I told them that and they just don't I don't know, they don't care. Uh what I will say before I I forget this point, Spotify actually will let you reach your audience if you specific or if you follow very specific rules. So there's uh when somebody has clicked follow on your Spotify account if you there's a there's a playlist called release radar which is supposed to be any artist that you're following. If you upload a song a week in advance or more, they guarantee that it will make it on all your followers release radar playlist. So huh. That I, I've tried to put more energy into Spotify, like like basically structuring because it used to be that like I would finish something and I'd be like, oh, I got to get this uploaded as soon as possible. I would do it the next day on Spotify, etc. But then I realized that, like, if I do that, I'm going to be guaranteed to reach 10,000 people with this song. So I'm going to delay everything by a week. So now essentially everything I do is delayed by a week, like depending on when the video is finished, you know, com- compared to when the song is finished. Um, but that's actually like a good thing right now. Like it's literally the only platform that I know of where that happens. But again, you have to delay it by a week or else it, it becomes completely random whether or not that'll happen. Cause I had it, it killed my Christmas song last year. That was extremely annoying because I had, I had uploaded a song the next day, uh, like two weeks earlier. And that went out to everybody's release radar playlists for some reason. You know, like I broke the rules of Spotify. It worked. It was okay. So then I upload that one like four or five days in advance. And it literally, I think it got like 30 plays before Christmas. Like it was, wow. it was so low. And it's like, obviously this is time sensitive. It's a Christmas song. And then, yeah, it's never done that well because of it just, I, I don't know. It's, it's stupid. But again, that's a one positive thing I can say about this landscape. Can can you explain something to me about Spotify in regards to pre-saves? So there's okay. so, so Spotify has this thing where you can ask your fans to pre-save an album or a song. And yes. what does that mean and what does that do? Uh I think okay, so I've I've known ostensibly what it means for a long time, but I think that literally today as I was cuz I was I've I've been asking people to pre-save songs for a long time. So there were some people saying like, oh, I don't this this looks like a a weird like I'm giving a weird permission to DistroKid or whatever, because Distro DistroKid is the distributor I use. And they're one of I, I don't think every distributor does this. But anyway, the point is so if you pre-save a song, you're giving you're giving this info to DistroKid or whatever the distributor is. You're saying, I want to hear this. And then when the song goes live, uh, DistroKid on your behalf automatically hits like on the track and adds it to one of your playlists. So the idea is that the song goes live and instantly all those people who hit pre-save, they've now added it to their playlists. And then Spotify says, oh, people are interested in this song. I'm going to put it on more playlists. And then that's like, 
that's the whole promulgation of songs is just, you know, what, who seems interested in this? And so then we're going to send it out to more people. So I don't know if that clears it up, but it, it just literally increases the odds of you getting on more playlists. Yeah. So do you think that there's any sort of YouTube analogy here or, or, oh, no way. Like YouTube can't, can't steal this. And oh, I mean, I guess I hope they could, but there's definitely nothing yet. Yeah, no, no, sorry, sorry. I don't mean okay. t- today. I mean, okay. can so YouTube is notorious for stealing other platforms' ideas, whether it's yeah, yeah. like stories or, uh, you know, stream like let's play streaming. Uh, if some other platform has a great idea, they'll just rip it off. Could YouTube steal this idea to allow like super fans to pre-like? A YouTube video before it goes live so that it gets an extra boost once you make it live in the algorithm? Is that a thing in your – can you envision that? It, I mean it's kind of like premieres. I guess the question is do premieres work? And I know that there's a lot of mysterious feelings about premieres and like how they affect the actual performance of the video after. Because I remember when that first happened, there were a lot of people – there were a number of bigger channels that had videos that they were – you know, guessing were limited because they used the premiere feature or they re-uploaded it and got drastically different results. I don't know, because that does allow you to hit like in advance and it does allow you to open up the conversation in advance. I mean, I personally wish that I could like Facebook, you know, just pay to reach my audience. Like I would consider that from an advertising standpoint, because if I could just reach the 138,000 people, like that would make a lot of things happen for me just by default and I'd be willing to pay some amount of money to do that on on the creator side but I don't know I I mean I I think that that would be a good thing overall I, I just the problem with YouTube is that every time they roll out a new feature you have no idea what it does when you actually interface with or <laughs> as soon as you actually use that feature you have no idea what other you know, externalities are going to be at play. Like, like how, I don't know. It's just crazy because you want to try all these new things. And then all of a sudden you found that your video is severely limited because you used premiere, which is something that, you know, that's been thrown in your face a whole bunch is this exciting new feature. I mean, you don't want to have fear associated with new features, but I think everybody has that at this point. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. I never, I don't know why I never thought about this, but it is kind of crazy that YouTube hasn't stolen Facebook's model of targeted advertising. I mean, obviously you can do Google ads, but that's not the same. That's not what you're saying. You can't actually just target your subscribers to put your new video at the top of their feed. I mean, God, you could do this on Etsy, I'm pretty sure. You can like pay to have your thing on Etsy at the top of – I don't know about your followers, but certainly on like search terms – I don't know. It does seem like they must they must have a reason why they aren't doing that because it seems way too obvious that it would be, it would be a good money maker for them. Well, that too, and I mean, if you were to even bring it up and say like, oh, well, then obviously the channels with more money are going to get more placements, but they already get more placements anyway because they're that large. So I, I really don't see like what there is necessarily to lose there in a yeah. competitive sense. Uh, yeah. If they let creators, though, pay to reach their own audiences, the outcry would be tremendous because it would just be uh, YouTube is now a pay to play to yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't even know how they'd handle that. They can't handle much lighter criticism than that. You know, and they pride themselves so much on this uh, this notion that anybody with a camera and their phone can make videos and upload them to the world for free. Uh, then YouTube comes down and says, well, sort of, sort of. You you can get yeah. them on there, but <laughs> you're gonna have to you're gonna have to pay a little bit to actually let your subscribers see these. You know, it's it's a strange kind of thing, and I think that it would it would make um, a bit of a global problem as well, uh, where the tears. I mean, the tears of who has budgets to push that sort of thing varies tremendously from say indiana to india uh right. and i think that it would put uh put creators in certain parts of the world at a severe disadvantage much much worse than they're already at um uh, i can see youtube not wanting to touch this one at all but it would be amazing if there was a mechanism that like you said just allowed you to show your stuff to the people who have expressed explicitly that they want to see that stuff. And I mean, I guess it's it's like there have been all these different phases of YouTube, too, where like that. I think that used to be the case. And I, I mean, I just remember talking to uh, uh, I was talking to Internet comment etiquette, Eric, about this. Mm. And like back when he first was giving me plugs like he sh there's no reason why he hasn't broken a million subscribers yet. Like, I can't understand why that hasn't happened. Like, just just. Just uh, videos appearing anywhere like there should be enough traction there. There should be enough traffic there to, to drive that. And I just I remember years ago, it was like 2016. He's like, once you break 50,000 subscribers, like all the wheels are turning like you're, you're going to go. There's no stopping you then. And it's like mm -hmm. it kind of it was kind of playing out that way. And then it's like exactly when I broke 100,000 subscribers, like that's when everything just started slowing down, like everything like just started. It went to a crawl and it's like, I have one video that YouTube promotes twice, once or twice a year. I really, really, really like this image. It has 6 million views. It gets tons of interactions. The algorithm promotes the hell out of it. It goes nuts. And then it just dies. Like it, it drives, like it'll drive maybe eight to 10,000 subscribers. And then it just quits and, and they don't go to any other <laughs> videos. They don't go to anything else. And I should say, like, okay, I'm grateful that that happens. There's a lot of people who'd say, I wish that happened to me. But again, I've made other things. Like, <laughs> I have made other songs. Like, and I'm going to say maybe at least a small percentage of those people would like the other songs. And you can watch it happen. I, I posted a, a stat of this because I'm not, I don't usually, I don't do a ton of, like, Twitter complaining about YouTube. But I made a post about that because it feels like I'm in a vacuum where, like, you look at the stats and you just have this one video that's getting all these views every day. And then all the other ones, the closest, cause like that would pull like 10,000 views a day or something. And then the closest next video was getting like 700 or something. And it's like, I don't know. So, so that feels kind of frustrating to me that the only growth I've had in two years is YouTube choosing to promote one video to people. And that's it. That that's the only thing that drives traffic to me at this point. Yeah, and there is a little bit of a conspiracy theory that I know of in regards to subscriber benchmarks, okay. meaning like it's possible, I'm not saying that I know this, but it is possible 
that once you passed 100,000 subscribers, if the next few videos was like significantly lower than 100,000 views, then YouTube does, I, th I think, punish, punish the channel and say, well, this channel is like, is not accelerating anymore. Like this channel is like in decline. So, yeah. so, so if you like multiply the, the effect here, say it's like a channel with 10 million subscribers, but for like three months, all the videos only get, you know, a hundred thousand views. Right. I think that YouTube reads that as this channel is in decline. So let's, stop showing it to people because people don't really like it anymore. So I do think that there is this weird thing where you can hit certain benchmarks and be punished for it if if you if the growth slows down. That's so cool. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but you are doing all these different things. You're doing uh uh merch, you're doing uh cassette tapes which hopefully my cassette arrives today i don't know uh, i was hoping to have it for this interview so i could hold it up but um maybe the mail's here I don't, uh, maybe maybe in post can we can we can add it i'll tweet about it for sure <laughs> but um what is the process you know because we do have some musicians who listen to the podcast regularly yeah. and you're the first musician that we've had on the show. So I would love if you could give our musician listeners some advice on how things like, like band camp even work. And, and if you have any like tips for like any of this stuff, when it comes from yeah, making physical CDs to doing Spotify to, to, to anything that you could allow the audience to glean from your experience. Uh, I mean, there's a lot I can say about those experiences. Um, I think as a musician doing this, okay, so I have, and, and I don't, I don't feel like I'm using these, like what your degree is, I, I think only obviously means a small amount, but like I, I have an econ major and a music minor, like that's what my background is. And I've never... I guess I've never really thought of myself in like a pure artistic sense. I always had these creative like capabilities that I didn't really understand, but like I didn't grow up in a creative household. I never envisioned myself doing anything creative. And so for me, uh, I guess it's been the easiest way to describe it is like a right brain, left brain or a clash of just like trying to make good ideas financially and then also trying to make sure that like my weirdest impulses are fulfilled, etc. And, and I guess trying to meet in the middle, but also having these extreme points that like balance you out because if you're not happy with what you're doing, um, and that's, that's something that, that like has really affected me, you know, at different periods in my career, I've done things. I, I used to make songs about like famous people just to get, you know, traffic to myself and then that like started to feel oily to me and it started to feel like, I just don't like how I feel after I've done this. You know, I've got a lot of people that are asking me if I'm going to do songs about the political candidates this year. I, I don't know if I am because I don't look back at those and feel like that was my best use of energy. I mean, everybody's political and I have politics and uh, I just don't feel that they're best let that like art with politics in it, I, I just don't feel like it works that well for me. Like it just never really feels good. So that's obviously one angle of that. It's more or less having this balance between 
uh, the creative side and the financial side, which is where I was saying, like, you need to have a Patreon. You need to be on Spotify. You need to find a distributor that isn't going to take a ton of your royalties. You need to be looking at what percentages a company is going to take. Bandcamp usually takes about 10%. Um, I have had... I feel like a lot of good success with pay what you want, including free on Bandcamp, because Bandcamp allows you to do that. I guess I've always been of the mindset that like, if somebody really wants my music, I'd rather they just take it and give me an email address or something. And if they ever feel like they have the money to pay for it, you know, let them pay for it. Uh, Or maybe they'll buy a shirt instead, like down the road. Yeah. Right. And it's like that that is always a tough thing. That's that that's something that I always struggle with because you do have people who don't wanna they they don't like the Patreon model. They don't like that Patreon takes a cut. You know, I have people that that just literally don't like that uh they give me money and somebody else takes any percentage of it. And it's like I'm just I'm just out here saying, Oh, they only take ten percent. That's that's great compared to what it could be. Like I I, I don't know. So I'm I'm trying to juggle all these pragmatic ideas. Um, yeah, but even if they PayPal you money, they're taking 3%. So (laughs) unless they like drive to your front door with a envelope of cash, I mean, there's going to be some sort of middleman (laughs) kind of like taking their piece of the pie. Right. So, you know, I, I pay, you know, a monthly fee to have a Shopify store. The thing is Mm -hmm. Shopify takes a lower percentage than... Bandcamp does, but then when I'm not selling a lot, like I'm still having to pay to keep the store open, et cetera. But like then on Bandcamp, you can accept tips because people can overpay for stuff. So it's, I don't know. It's a matter of engaging in all the platforms. It's a matter of, I, there's a podcast, uh, that they were literally the first ones. Like I, I credit them with me continuing to keep going in music because when I first started doing the TV themes, I set this arbitrary number of 50. I'm just going to do 50 TV themes. I'm just going to see what happens. And when I got to number 49, it was a lot of, you know, people were in the comments telling me, do this show, do this show, do this show. And, and I've described this in my, I, in my discord, I've, I've talked about this a fair amount that like, Eventually the comments become, or what do I want to say? The compliments become implied that like, they're just like, do this show. They, they don't say good job anymore. They just ask you to do the next person, do the next show, do the next wrestler. Cause I did songs about wrestlers. I don't follow wrestling. I did it for people who follow wrestling and are into these wrestlers. And eventually, I don't know. It starts to feel like burnout. Like every time you finish something, it's going to lead to doing something else. So this podcast laser time, I was at number 49 and then they did this write up and it was like, things had weren't really happening. And yeah, this, this guy, Chris from laser time did this write up and it was like, he got everything I was doing. Like I got choked up reading it and I was like, I'm a nobody doing something. I'm, I'm just trusting that this, what I'm doing is good or that it's a decent thing that I'm doing. And he did this write up and I was just like, I, I can't believe that somebody gets this like this sort of esoteric thing that I'm trying to execute. And that was like number 49. And that kept me going for a long time. And, and I formed a friendship with him and he was, their podcast was one of, was pretty early on Patreon. And he was telling me, he was warning me, you know, about in terms of like fulfilling 
uh, rewards for patrons and stuff. Like, don't stretch yourself too thin. Like, set reasonable limitations. Uh, because, like, he was losing his life because, like, there was just so many things he had promised to everybody. And it's like, he wants to do it. He's grateful for the audience's support. But, like, he's having to give up things. He's having to have, you know, to lose all personal free time. Like, those sorts of things happen when you overpromise. And so if you want things to be sustainable, you just you have to figure out where uh, where those limits are for you, because you, you don't want to burn out. You don't want to overpromise. You don't want to do these things that are going to make you miserable, even though they're supposed to be like coming from a grateful place. So I don't you, you, you have to have balance. You have to have focus. You have to have I don't want to say you need specifically long term goals, but. I mean, you need to plan a little bit ahead, like what you're going to do next and like what platforms you're going to use. I rushed out this cassette because it's Christmas, it's the holidays and, you know, I didn't know if I was going to do it or not. And I was like, I'm going to be able to sell other cassettes if I put out this cassette. So I, I don't know. I, I've had to work out all these different things. I've had to wear all these different hats. You know, I, I don't have a manager. I don't have an agent. I don't have anything. So I have to negotiate deals on my own behalf. I I bought a thermal label printer so I can fulfill orders quicker. Like I've had to do all this research into, you know, bubble padding and I handle all the fulfillment <laughs> of orders and I, I, I don't know, like I have a shirt company called Tone Threads that they give me actually pretty great margins compared to a lot of these other sites. And they just have like a screen printer machine and it's it's zero. They make stuff on demand and I mean, I can set the price of the shirt and set the profit that I make on the shirt. I don't, it's just all these sorts of little decisions like that. Like you have to, you have to research the possibilities. And I mean, obviously it's important to like get something out there, like to have merch available. Like it's better to have merch available than to not have merch available, but it's also good to like compare the rates, compare what they're going to take, compare how much effort you need to put into on the fulfillment end because all those things add up to your time and and I don't know most people want to have a life outside of the career the creation process I don't know that's a lot of words but I it's really easy to get bogged down in those details uh, like I'm I'm so glad that you said the thing about bubble wrap because you it's not something you'd think about until you need to do it right right and it, people don't realize that uh it's uh, so you know I think about bubble envelopes where uh, the the threshold is like three-eighths of an inch or a quarter inch or something like that on thickness on an envelope to where it stops being an envelope, okay? Yeah. So when you want a padded thing, you've got to think, I've, I've got two layers of padding. I've got whatever's going in the middle of it, which if it's paper, that's one thing. But then maybe if you have to put a backing board in to make that paper not get crunched up, that adds thickness. If you've got a, something that's in a case, that adds thickness. And all of a sudden, you're literally thinking about how big in diameter and how thick the bubbles are in the bubble-wrapped envelope because right. they are relevant to this limit. Yeah, and then like an hour or two later, you realize like this is how I spent my Tuesday afternoon was crunching every detail about bubble wrap on mailers. And I, I hate this. 
You know, there are people who do love it. Um, yeah. I, I like it a lot more than most people. So that's cool. Like when we had to send stuff out, um, you know, talking to Kevin, it, it took us like 15 seconds to realize that I'm going to not mind this. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, did you, but that's, did you get but that's hit it. Yeah. with the, the increased international rates? Yeah. Be- because yeah, that, the international rates are nuts. Did you, but have you figured out the one, there's, there's one weird trick. To, is there? Yes, there is. Uh, it's uh, basically after. So, so I put out my first cassette in. Uh, I think it was September of 2017, and international shipping was okay. like four or four to six bucks per cassette. Like it was just a right. flat, flat rate. Yep. So then I put out a cassette in 2018, and I'm not. I'm not even thinking about this. I'm not. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to mm-hmm. set up the shipping. I'm just, and suddenly it's costing literally thirteen dollars to ship a cassette. Like in that year time. Uh, it, it completely changed and yes, that was, that was, that killed the sales of that cassette. Cause like all of a sudden every international order, they're all saying, I, I, I won't do this. I, I can't like the, it's more than the price of the cassette. Right. So I found out that I, I have no idea why they did this, but there's, if, if you're using ShipStation, basically if, stamps.com has this thing where you say if you say it's a, a flat you have to say international first class and if you say it's a flat or large envelope it can't exceed basically one inch thickness mm-hmm. or they have specific diameters uh or uh, uh lengths and widths but but uh if you do that it cuts like five or six dollars off the shipping if you select that specific option and it does some kind of bulk rate where you ship it to like a, a fulfillment center and they ship a bunch of stuff over to the UK all at once. So like, oh, I see. Yeah. And, and it's, that's the only way now, now I got cassette shipping down to like eight fifty, eight to $10 to go internationally, which yeah. again is still higher than it was, but like the amount it's of better, time I better, spent, yeah. the amount of time I spent on this is just like insane. Like it was just, mm-hmm. So if, if if you're not cut out to like make those kinds of decisions, yeah, like if you if you just want to go with uh, I I don't know Teespring or something to get shirts up and never have to think about this, I, I would highly recommend that. But yeah, if you want to if you want to offer like unique offerings and cassettes and things like that, like I I actually use a there's a company called Kunaki that is very bizarre. It's like a factory that's automated. Apparently, they have like two employees. And you literally sub- you submit <laughs> a, yeah you submit the the details for a CD, and it just automatically produces it and mails it out on your behalf. Like you just input it and you pay a, a flat credit card fee, and they just ship them out. And they're not they're not super fancy CDs, but like if the art looks good, it will look quite good. And the risk is like none. There's no risk. So like I could be making like cooler CDs with like flip fold. I, I like all these different things, but like, I don't know what I feel about CDs anymore. Like it's not really a format that needs to exist versus like analog formats that like have this sort of introduced, uh, imperfection. I mean that, that makes it sound differently and makes it a different experience. But like Kunaki has like completely saved me on CDs. Like I don't have to have boxes of merch. I don't have to have boxes of CDs that I'm shipping out. I just literally copy paste somebody's address into the site and then it just goes through a process. Like I can go check it and it'll say, you know, the machine printed the it printed the disc label. The machine has now printed the the actual labels. Now it's been mailed and then it gives you a tracking number. And like that's really cool. And like 
I figured out my own rates that like if I was buying them versus having them do it, I could make like an extra 20 cents or something, but I, I don't want to have to buy ship boxes to me of CDs now. <laughs> no, it's not worth your time. I, I want to go back quickly um, and then and then we're going to go through our little uh, Patreon wormhole and we're going to ask you a question exclusively for our patrons. But okay. before we do that, I want to just kind of touch upon something that... You know, if if the people listening right now, you know, they aren't musicians, they they aren't planning on making CDs, there is something that they can do no matter what their interest is. And that's what you mentioned in regards to that article that really inspired you to keep going that uh, from the person who reached out and said like this is what Hot Dad is doing and this is why it's great. Not that I'm saying everybody has to like write an article about somebody that whose work they admire, but just doing like a tweet, just like a single like thoughtful comment on a YouTube video really, really, really goes a long way, at least, you know, to me and in, in my experience where if somebody actually puts together like a nice, thoughtful, coherent comment on one of my videos or sends out a tweet unprompted saying like, Hey, I really appreciate what you do because of X, Y, Z. That is so rare. <laughs> like I can't yeah. even, I can't even tell our listeners how rarely that actually happens. Like hardly anybody ever just goes out of their way to like tell somebody that they appreciate what they do so that as somebody who, who does create things and shares them for an audience, it, it is really genuinely so deeply appreciated that that I think that people really should kind of hear that and understand that it does mean a lot. I mean it was it was seriously that was like a massive game changer for me because I had like I was saying I had like 150 subscribers in the channel and I just embarked upon this new journey and I don't know th there's a the big it's the uh the the Ira Glass discussion of creative creativity and like how the pro how it plays out uh essentially that you have good taste that's why you want to make something and just because you have good taste doesn't mean that what you're making like you're going to be able to tell that it, it stinks it's not good and you just have to keep going until like your taste and what you're making like they're equal and like that just takes you know so many hours to do that but I don't know, like, like for that first, for the first 49, I had people saying like, oh, this is funny, but nobody was really like expressing any kind of larger sentiment than just, you know, haha, you know, just, just a quick YouTube comment or whatever. And then all of a sudden somebody does this write up where they're describing in detail all these things, like, I don't know, just making it into this, this sort of like almost sentimental thing. And it, it just, I, I don't know, it resonated with me in a way that few things have. And it's just like. I that whole time was convincing myself like I have a reason for doing this. I'm I'm good enough. Like there's a, a point in doing this and nothing's really happening. And then suddenly somebody's like, you do have a point, you know, and then you're just like, OK, I'll keep going for another, you know, 25 theme songs or whatever, like and then try to figure out what to do. Yeah, because telling yourself that message that what you're doing is meaningful in the mirror is is <laughs> is fine for a while but yeah right. like you said after like 49 of them you know the 49th time you're looking at yourself in the mirror saying this is meaningful it's right. hard <laughs> as heck to 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 do that another 
49 times. So yeah, e- even just having one person unprompted saying, hey, this is meaningful. You are right. You know, hot dad. <laughs> and I mean, I have a, amazing. I have to give a shout out to my fan base. I, I have one of the nicest fam. Like, like I, there's almost no toxicity in any of the YouTube comments anymore. I almost none of that is attracted anywhere I go. And I don't, I don't necessarily know how that's happened, but it has. And I think that that's kind of a rare thing these days. And so I don't know. It, it is really amazing. And I, I try to make sure that I respond whenever somebody says something like that. Even if I don't have enough time to, to to write a long response, because I mean, I as I'm sure you know, it's like you read these, uh, you read a comment like that, and you want to give it like all this respect, and you can't you can't do that over like like there's just only so much energy that you have. So I I try to make sure that like at at the very least I tell people that you know I'm thankful that they took time out of their day to like say something nice to me. You know, even if I can't go into all the details of all the the things that they said that are meaningful about it, um, but yeah, it, it just it is it's amazing when that happens, and and you have to try to focus on that instead of you know the negativity bias that we all have in terms of you know focusing on that one negative comment and refusing to say like oh I'm I'm good at something uh, I'm at least a little good at something you know you just I when we when we zip through to the other side here. Um, I think it's going to be one question because it's a big question. It's a long question uh, or long answer to a very short question. Um, and that question is what means sex? Uh, ah. it, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I would love for everybody to, when we go through, be able to hear the process on that particular song, like from beginning to end how this how this happened and how it played out because it's it's such a it's kind of such a strange one and really awesome uh and if we could get like the full blood work on how how you go from idea to end product on what means sex that would be amazing i'd love to um there was okay so uh something awful forums i i assume you're familiar with are we are we answering this now? Or are we going to transition through? Oh, oh yeah, oh, I don't, yeah. Let let's save it. Let's save it. So it's going to yeah, start. Yeah. It, it starts with something awful forums. To hear the rest of it, you need to go to Patreon.com/slash The Create Unknown. Yeah. We're going through the wormhole right now. If you're not joining us, then please, please, please do yourself a favor. Not anybody else, just you, and follow Hot Dad. Watch his videos. Check him out on Spotify. Spotify is a great place and a great platform for your hot dad needs. Check out his cassettes, uh, t-shirts, CDs, the the whole ecosphere of hot dad because it will make your life better. I don't know. Like if, if hot dad doesn't put a smile on your face, then you need to see a doctor honestly so check out hot dad uh thank you so much for joining us we're going through the wormhole until then see you space cowboys thank you so much thanks for listening to the create unknown there's more episode waiting for you but to keep listening sign up at patreon.com slash the create unknown you could hear the rest of our conversation as well as unlock the ad free feed get exclusive content join the idea baby gang and more Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. If you liked what you heard, and I certainly hope that you did, please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a review on Podchaser and Apple Podcasts. Those reviews 
really go a long way. While you're at it, you can also watch the video version of this show on youtube.com slash thecreateunknown. Check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. You can get the full episode. You can join the Idea Baby Gang, become one of the known access creator services. There's a lot going on on our Patreon. It's all part of phase three of TCU. So go to patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Follow us on social media. We tweet at Create Unknown. We're on Facebook and Instagram at The Create Unknown. You can follow me, Matt, and the show on Podchaser for podcast updates. You can also find a link to our Discord in the show notes. We love our Discord because we get to talk to you and you get to talk to us. So join our Discord. Our website is thecreateunknown.com. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production. We've been your hosts, Kevin Lieber and Matt Tabor. Check out what we do on YouTube at Vsauce2 and on Twitter at KevLieb and Tabor TCU. Links in the show notes. This episode was edited by Zalgaloo. Our theme song is by the incredible Mega Drive. Special thanks to Paula Lieber, Mo Lewitt. Until next time, see ya, Space Cowboys. Space Cowboys.